Welcome to the Executive Central Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and once again, I'm joined by Rob Barmer, the MD of Executive Central. Today, looking at innovation. We all want some in our businesses, but how do we get it? Well, we'll examine that in the next 15 minutes or so, including how the approach will change depending on the growth phase of your business. But first of all, Rob, I mean, innovation is an often used word, isn't it? And we all have different ideas about what it means. So for some people, for example, it might mean changing the work in progress, meaning from a Monday to a Tuesday. Or someone might say, well, look, we've introduced free tea and coffee into the business. That's innovation, when clearly uh, it is not. So what does it look like in practice, innovation? Well, it's, it, it, you're, you're touching on the right point there, Phil, because it really is quite a large spectrum, you mm-hmm. know, and um, uh, you. Uh, it's interesting. There's a recent study called the Study of Australian Leadership, which I probably mentioned in previous discussions we've had, um, and it, it sort of talks about the difference between radical innovation and you know the other popular term around of course is disruptive innovation which do tend to people picture these bigger things they're big changes they're they're uh, inventions they're inspirations that sort of stuff but it it then talks about at the other end of the spectrum what you'd call incremental innovation and that kind of fits into that world of of continuous improvement and things like that so mm. so innovation does span that spectrum and my view in terms of what it's it's all innovation it's all part of uh, the innovation discussion and organizations need all of it they yeah. need the int- incremental and they need to be looking for radical at times. I guess it, so, it depends on what know, stage your company's at as, as well to a certain extent, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. It, it, whenever I think of innovation, um, a book that I read many years ago, and I was very fortunate enough to, to meet one of the authors, uh, it's a book called The Alchemy of Growth. And it's written by three gentlemen who were former McKinsey's consultants. But it's probably the best book in terms of a concept that grasps the need for this sort of spectrum of innovation. So so they talk about that every business, if it wants to be in a growth mode, if a business or an organization wants to grow, there need to be three horizons of growth. And they aren't, they're not meaning time horizons. It doesn't mean sort of near term, medium, long term. It means three, there's three different horizons. Um, uh, different types of innovation. Horizon one, they describe as the here and now uh, business as usual. This, these are businesses or initiatives that are uh, de- delivering your business here and now. It's right. known. It's probably funding. You know, they're, they're profitable. They're well established. But you want to do um, them. And, but you want to do them better. Whatever it is, you want to be able to do it better. I guess that's the you're looking for cor- efficiency. Correct. They're mm-hmm. they're, say, they're saying you can get growth out of that horizon, right? But the way you get it will tend to be through efficiency, through uh, you know that continual improvement, incremental improvements that continue to refine that well known thing. Easier said than and done, so, though, because the obvious thing to say with that is if uh, you know if it was easy you would have done it before if this is sort of the stuff that you're doing if this is your bread and butter you would have figured out by now how to do it better surely absolutely absolutely it is easier said than done because in horizon one it is known it is the known thing and people get comfortable with it people know that that process is working now why would we want to change it you know the old saying if it ain't broke don't fix it so a lot of the issues around resistance to change um, cut in in Horizon 1 because people have gotten very comfortable with the way we do things and it's working, so why would we ever want to change that? Mm. Um, so so that's there. But, you know, if you think about – there's lots of things we think about in Horizon 1, but that requires – you know, it's often 
harder to come up with those because um, you know they require more analysis and they require more fine tuning and needing people needing to really dive into the detail and analyze things. So and it's it hard. It's hard because everyone's setting their ways. It's hard to say to them, "Well, actually, we are going to do things in a different way now because it's going to make things more efficient." And I guess in, in an established business, the moment you start talking about efficiency, everyone starts going, "Uh oh, that means you're going to make some job cuts here." <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> the R word comes in. Oh, it must be redundancies. <laughs> um, but but yes, it, it is. Uh, I suppose in selling the case for innovation in Horizon One, you've got to look at what would be the consequences of not doing it. Um, so, so Phil, the, the great risk. Uh, I suppose that selling the case for innovation in Horizon One is uh, really about what are the consequences of not doing it. Mm. And the great risk of Horizon One businesses or or initiatives not innovating are that they can become stale. You know, they can stagnate and may, in fact, become redundant themselves if we don't continue to improve them. So, so growing, you know, the, 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 the growing horizon one, while it's easier said than done, is vital because those are the things that will continue to fund and, and earn you the right to innovate in say, the other horizons, horizon right. two and three, which okay. we'll get to in a sec. So, yeah, before we get to them, a simple question, Rob, and I'm sure you've got a very straightforward answer to this. How do you do it? <laughs> if everyone should be doing it and they haven't been doing it, what is it they actually need to do? Well, people always want the silver bullet to innovation. Mm. They want the, the the panacea. What's the answer yeah. to how you innovate? The, the, in my experience, Phil, the cold hard truth is there is no formula, right? F- innovation can come from the, the most unlikely and unexpected sources. Yeah. Uh, so, so for example, one of the biggest innovations that I ever saw uh, was in my days working at Compact Computers. Um, and in fact, we, we had an innovation drive going on. A guy who worked in an, on the floor of our distribution center, he'd worked there for seven years. He was, you know, a laborer effectively, um, pushing boxes around all very, very, you know, uh, hard work sort of uh, type of work was actually the source of one of the biggest innovations that the company ever saw. He, he had seen us doing a particular thing in the process there, which meant that literally every truck that pulled into Compact's dock would sit there empty for half an hour with the driver having a smoke waiting for us, if you like, um, because of Compact's process. And he, uh, when this innovation drive, and there was a bit of an incentive program around it, which I won't go into because it was a, quite radical, but um, uh, he, he said, well, you know, if we just did this thing over here instead of where we're doing it there, we'd be ready to go when the truck arrives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and everyone went, oh, my God. He's right. Why haven't we thought of that? Um, and that saved us $7.5 million wow. in one year. Wow. Because I was going to ask, you know, what do what does an innovative, innovative player in your business look like? How can you spot them? It sounds like from what you're saying, well, actually, it could be anyone. And you just got to be open to ideas from anywhere within the business. A- absolutely right. That That is my very strong view is there, you know, there, A, there is no formula. B, there is no innovator. There's no, there is no standard format to say this person will be innovative where that where this post person won't. So the way I'd rather look at it is the potential for innovation uh, is kind of in all of us, but it's it's a potential that's really locked up in most people. Right. 
Um, so you've got to prize it out. And some sort how of. How do you in- get it out? Yeah. So, yes. some, so some sort of incentive scheme or certainly openness within the organization uh, and telling people why you're doing it are, are good starts on that. Yeah, well, look, look, that probably opens up another whole subject area, uh, Phil, but I actually think the biggest inhibitor to people letting that innovation potential out is actually fear. Mm. Um, and, and fear of what? Well, fear of failure. Yeah. <laughs> fear of reprisals if my idea doesn't work. Uh, fear of uh, mm-hmm. offending someone else whose job it is to do this, and I'm, make, I'm making a suggestion on how they could do it better. Uh, or fear, uh, fear of looking uh, foolish in front of all your in front of all your work colleagues. Absolutely, to, to to be innovative and to innovate, you have to be. And here comes another big word in in you know uh, modern conversations. You have to be prepared to be vulnerable. Mm. You have to you you are you are being vulnerable, putting an idea out on the table, or even asking a question question that could lead to an innovative investigation. That's yeah. about being vulnerable and, and being prepared for, hey, look, I might be wrong here, but can I just ask, why do we do this here in, in, uh, instead of over there? Yeah. Um, and that could be, as, I, in the, as in my example, that could be the source of the most amazing innovation. Um, you know, you might think it's very incremental, but could turn out to be radical. Okay, now look, we've only looked at the first of, I mean, some of these points I think, I'm sure relate to those other horizons, but we're talking about the three horizons of growth from the, mm. from the alchemy of growth. And we, we've talked about the, you know, the, the current stable business and getting more efficiency out of it. Tell me about the second one. Well, perhaps to, to, um, illustrate the second one, if, if I was to describe that horizon one as, uh, it's like a rowing crew on a flat lake or river. Yeah. Um, the way they're going to get better is through, you know, really incremental refinement and fine-tuning of their performance. You know, the Australians, we always think of the awesome foursome, mm. you know, <laughs> these guys. Um, Brit- Britain, Britain, of course, has dominated us in the rowing since then, but never mind, we won't mention that. Um, but uh, but those people, it's all about that refinement. Well, in Horizon 2, uh, rather than being a rowing crew on a flat lake, it's really more like people coming down the rapids on a, on a inflatable, you know, boat. Um Horizon 2 initiatives are the new businesses, the new initiatives that you've actually started. So that's a key criteria. They must have started. Um, but their growth, it comes through potential. I mean, the potential they offer for growth is, you know, is possibly very large or huge, but it hasn't yet been turned into reality. So it's like a startup so, culture almost. Yes, absolutely. It is totally a startup culture, uh, and like a ride down the rapids, it's fast, it's exciting, but it's dangerous. Literally, mm. you could you could hit a rock or a standing wave and get tipped over, and everything's you know. And then we've got to get in the boat, and so it's it's fast and it's dynamic and all that sort of stuff. But but the key here is these are these are new things, and they are they are potential. They're opening up new potential that you haven't. Uh, had before so uh, so this requires a you know a really uh, quite a different set of disciplines in people and, and even different set of processes to to define success in this space does it actually um, does it yeah. actually mean different people even because when you think about it you know if you've got a, a stable business you do have a lot of people who have been doing that their job for a long time one thing to say well let's look at ways to make this job more efficient can you actually get those people to almost act like like a, like a startup because startups you very often you employ people because they are people sort of almost genetically engineered for startups. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, the easy answer to that is probably it's a different type of person. So you could say, yes, it is different people. But 
it, it can be the same people, and often in smaller businesses it needs to be the same people, but they need to be really focusing on different skills that they've got. So whereas a Horizon One innovator will tend to have that uh, ability to really analyse and think about things in more detail and eke out the detail, um, a Horizon Two person really needs to be a, a problem solver and an action-oriented doer you know um they don't they don't need to necessarily be people often say they need to be very entrepreneurial i actually see that probably more as a horizon three which we'll get to in a moment horizon two we've actually started this thing but these need to be people who are are comfortable with um being uncomfortable Mm. you know Mm. comfortable with things that aren't stable uh we haven't got all the processes sorted out for this thing yet uh we're not 100% sure of what's going to happen. And probably the biggest thing here, Phil, I'd say is the fastest way to kill a Horizon 2 initiative or business is to judge it the same way you judge a Horizon 1 business. Mm. So, for example, we need this new thing to deliver short-term results this month or this quarter. Yeah, we'll worry about Um, how we do it more efficiently down the track. Let's just get the sales in, first of all, and let's get proof of concept behind us. Yeah, so uh, don't get me wrong, these these Horizon 2 things do need to have performance measures put to them, but they need to be different from Horizon 1. Uh, you know, it needs to be much more things like, are we achieving the project plan here? Are the key milestones that we've set ourselves, are we knocking those off? Yeah. Um, uh, but not, oh, this thing's not profitable yet, we'll kill it. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's the that's the fastest way to, to kill off a, uh, a Horizon 2 initiative. Well, I mean, I've worked in a few startups and you do have that. Uh, the race is on. You have to get money in. You've got to you've got to sell at the same time. You know, as you're doing it, you're not doing it in the most efficient way. You know, and you might actually be it might actually be costing you more early on than you're actually getting in, in revenue to get those sales. So at the same time, you're racing to try and create that efficiency. So you, uh, you know, and you know, if, yes. you don't, if you don't do both of them, you, then you get nowhere. Exactly. So that's the point you've got to do both um and and ultimately here with these horizons what the the uh, authors talk about in the book is there needs to be a tidal flow from horizon three into two and into one so these horizon two initiatives we're talking about do eventually need to become horizon one you know we yeah. need to stabilize them we need that raft to get to the bottom of the rapids and hopefully get into a flat lake right because uh, if we just stay in the rapids all the time it's you know it's a wild ride, but it's it's um, dangerous. You know, so, we're courting doom. <laughs> so I'm guessing. So Horizon, the the third Horizon, then is obviously it's to do with brand brand new ideas starting out. That's right. So Horizon three, uh, first of all, what it isn't. We're not just talking about a, a wish list of things that we might do. Horizon three, um, for something to be sitting in Horizon three, it's really um, possible. Uh, initiatives that you've decided to go to a greater level of due diligence on, right? So you have to, there has to be, we've got a clear idea of what this concept is, but we're now going to a greater level of due diligence where, for example, we might be doing some market research on this. We might be doing some uh, business modeling uh, scoping the size of of uh, of the market and the need is is the problem that this new thing that's is solving is it a real problem or is it just a problem that people you know are happy to put up with that that kind of stuff so it's it's greater due diligence and again this requires a different skill set again you know because um, people are talking about a concept here not something that's that's actually happening yet 
Um, so they need envisioning skills. You know, they need the ability to anticipate and imagine what the issues might be rather mm. than actually reacting to what they actually are. Yeah, and it's hard, isn't um, it? Because you're trying to measure to do due diligence on something that doesn't exist yet. Well, exactly. Um, and, and, but if you think about due diligence, um, there, there are disciplines around that. There are things that you, you should do modeling wise, where, you know, market testing wise. So, you know, again, if, if I use another analogy just to make sure that I don't leave Horizon 3 out, I tend to think of this as a bit like scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef or something uh, it's actually a different kind of world you know than than the real world that we're in day to day but it is a real world and to be in that world you need to be well prepared you've got to have the right equipment you know uh to, to survive but when you get there it's a world of possibility you know literally you could come around a corner and see the most amazing thing or you could swim into you know into the path of a of a shark it, it's mm. uh, it's it's a world full of possibilities and if you are well prepared with the right equipment or in this case the right uh, you know governance and and sorry governance methods if you like yep. you can you can survive in that world very successfully can you th- there's a danger here though isn't there where you can kill some of that innovation by doing too much due diligence where you take a too cautious approach you've got to get the balance right haven't you between because you can use numbers to argue for or against anything it depends who's who's sitting behind it and what their predisposition is that's absolutely right phil and in fact this is again uh, a good example of what could kill off a horizon three initiative would be if we applied the same um uh, you know methods and practices and, and expectations of a horizon one business mm. so for example we haven't got enough research here to to uh, there's more research we you know we haven't got enough to make a solid decision well horizon three are not solid decisions they're at some level they're a bet yeah. you know we're, we've, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to work out what's a, the best bet for us to make yeah. Um, and and again, if I come back to that overall tidal flow, there, you know, you're going to have some things in Horizon Three that once you put them through the process, are not going to make it to Horizon Two. That you know, the business case doesn't stack up, or we're not really sure. But somewhere along the line, organisations need to be able to make a call, and we're going to make a decision to to hit the go button and move it into Horizon Two on this initiative. Um, but then in Horizon 2, it might turn out that, hey, the reality wasn't what we thought it was going to be. You need to be able to then go you know, kill that yeah. and move on and hopefully have something else in the funnel that's going to move into Horizon 2 next. So that's why Horizon 3 is so important. That was going to be my next question, actually, related to that. For any of those horizons, how much time and money should you devote to innovation at any of those levels if it's just not happening, if it's just not coming to you? Yes. Well, that becomes, um, I think, one of the most, certainly for me, and I'm talking personally here, the hardest thing is having the discipline and skill to be able to, you know, I'll call it kill it or make the decision not to proceed with something. Yeah. You know, pe- people become very passionate and, and committed to and believing in a, an initiative that they're involved in. And if someone makes, the, you know, if, if the call is, is needing to be made, hey, this is not working out, that's actually really, really hard to do. So in organisations, um, this is where, you know, senior leaders, CEOs actually need to kind of be able to sit and be a little bit dispassionate to be able to say, look, let's make a sensible call here without the emotional buy-in. Now, 
Phil, I'm saying this, it's coming out of my words, but I'm just, I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking this is so hard to do, mm. right? Um, even for CEOs, because often the CEO has been very emotionally invested in, a, in these initiatives. Perhaps it doesn't happen that way often, though. Perhaps actually what the, what the CEO or whoever's making that call is saying, well, look, it's not working because of this, and therefore we need to change it. So it actually evolves. You know, I yes. imagine very often you're not going to kill something dead. You're actually going to say, we just need to change the approach. No, that's right. And so particularly in Horizon 2, which are things that you've decided to start that's why i say one of the critical skills is that problem solving skill of the people involved in it you know they need to be able to overcome the hurdles as they become apparent um you know if you haven't got that good problem solving skill then the problem is going to just be a showstopper and Mm. You know, things might get killed when really they just need to be fixed. So I think we, I feel like we could talk forever about this, but it has been a very useful insight about how you approach it differently depending on uh, what type of business you're in or whether you're running each of these different uh, horizons of growth within your business at the same time. Probably the key overarching point from the book, The Alchemy of Growth, is that you must have all three horizons catered to in your business. If you fail to have... Like if you've, you've only got one horizon and not the two or two and one of them's missing, there are consequences for not having each of those three well covered. So right. what I tend to say to people in, in my work with them is let's have a look at the current state of your three horizons and let's work out which, which of them need to be shored up. Um, and often you'll find the answer is different depending on the business, but the, you must have all three and that's the key. Right. Okay. And I'm sure, yes, a lot of people, as we said at the beginning, just think of, of innovation as something, inventing something new, flying a Tesla around the sun, for example. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's been great talking, Exactly. Rob. We'll catch you again soon. Th- thanks, Phil. Talk to you soon. Bye. That, that is uh, far too much wisdom for one man to have, isn't it? <laughs> that is Rob Barmer, the MD of Executive Central. And we'll be back again uh, very soon with another edition of the Executive Central podcast. Thanks for listening this long. I'm Phil Dobby. We'll catch you again soon. 